I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The Unofficial Bengals Podcast. Welcome to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. All right, in this episode, we're going to talk about what's going on with the Bengals. We're going to talk about the Titans game, and we're going to do a preview of the Bengals-Cardinals game. What's up, Bengal Nation? This is Adrian the Mad Backer Ross, and you're listening to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. Who day? Cincinnati Bengals fans, I would like to introduce Frank LaPlaca. So things aren't going quite as planned. That's the way life is. Nothing ever goes quite as planned. So you know what you do? You persevere, you put your head down, and you accomplish what you were meant to accomplish. All right, so we're going to forego the usual format when I review a game, and I want to talk about what's going on with our Cincinnati Bengals. Here we are a quarter of the way through the season, and we're one in three, and none of us saw that coming. And the issue is the Joe Burrow calf injury. And I'm not trying to make excuses, but he's our best player. He's what fuels our offense, and he has no mobility. He can't drive off that leg. It's just a problem. He's toughing it out. He's trying to do everything he can for the team. We know that if he's not in there, we don't stand a good chance. So he's going to battle for us and for the team and for the organization, even though he's not 100%. So what's going on from a strategic standpoint is this. We had a game plan against the Rams. That was the first game that he was really, truly hobbled. And we had that quick passing game, constant shotgun, and it worked against the Rams. But the problem is teams have tape on that now. 
and they realize he's having a hard time going downfield. He's having a hard time moving horizontally in the pocket. He's not stepping up in the pocket. It's a big problem. Teams know, and this is what I would do too, unfortunately, and I hope our opponents aren't listening, but you saw it in this last game. I knew the Titans were smart enough to game plan based on that Rams tape. So what did they say? We're going to send the house at him every time. We're going to give him two seconds to throw and have him make a quick decision. We're not going to worry about downfield passes. We're going to stay up short. We're going to tackle in front of us. We're going to totally guard against the short pass. And that's exactly what's going on. You can get away with it for one game, but once teams get tape on it, they know how to defend you and how to attack you. That's exactly what the Titans did. That's exactly what's going on with us right now. We're one-dimensional. And in this game in particular, you want to say, go to the run game, go to the run game. And yes, we did in the beginning, and it was working. But when you're down by double-digit points, two, three scores, you have to abandon the run game. You have to throw yourself back into the game. And that was a problem in this game. So a lot of people are getting on Coach Taylor for the play calling. Why didn't you go to Mixon more? How do, how do you go to Mixon when you're 13 points, 14 points down? And going to Mixon is going to run out the clock more quickly. You're not going to have enough time to catch up. It's things like that. I'm not worried about the Coach Taylor's play calling. I'm worried about Joe Burrow's health. And again, it's the quandary. What do you do? Do you sit him for the next two weeks into the bye? Hopefully he gets three weeks of rest. We have two of our softer opponents. Maybe McCarron can come in and create that old magic for us for these two games. Or do you have Joe Burrow stick it out and play hurt for the next two games risk further injury, risk teams hitting you with the same game plan of just sending the house at them and defending the short pass. I mean, the coaching staff has a lot of decisions to make right now. It's a really tough time. If I was in charge of the Bengals, and you guys know I'm always protecting against long-term injury, I would sit Joe Burrow for the next three weeks. I would sit him against Arizona, who is one of the weakest teams in the league, no disrespect, and the Seahawks at home, you know, they're a middle-of-the-pack team. They're not They're not bad. They're not great. I think you take your chances on those two games, and then you have a bye week. But then you're coming out of the bye week against San Francisco. So it's a big gauntlet. If you can try to steal these two wins, you go into the bye week at 3-3. Three and three. Ideally, if you could steal these two wins without Joe Burrow, it would be the best thing for our season. I don't think that's going to happen because I think Joe Burrow is going to refuse to sit I think the coaching staff is going to refuse to buy into the fact that they can't make it work with him, and they also don't want to go 1-4, 1-5, because that truly is the kiss of death on your season. So here I am talking about going 1-5, and, and that's real depressing stuff. That's definitely glass half empty rather than half full. But let's talk about glass half full for one second. Let's assume that Joe Burrow can get healthier and the organization, you know, they make the right moves to get us to 500 and then we get back into the hunt. As of right now, we're not more than two games behind any team in the AFC. And I know, like every week I'm saying that. Like last week I'm like, oh, we're only one game behind everybody. Now this week it's, oh, we're only two games behind everybody. I'm hoping next week it's not, well, we're only three games behind anybody. So, you know, you can throw out that whole narrative. But right now we're two games back on the Ravens and we're two games out of the wild card. So if we can right this ship, if we can figure out a way to make Burrow more effective with the injury or replace him and steal a couple games, we're still in the hunt. Don't give up. It's still very early. It's only October. We're two games under 500 for the first time in a while. We are certainly not out of it. And you have to love the accountability of Joe Burrow. 
you know, he's stepping up to the plate. He's taking responsibility for it. He's not making excuses. He's just saying we have to get better every week in practice. We have to execute better on the field. It's not saying, well, you know, I'm trying out there. I'm, I'm playing with an injured calf and doing the best I can. He doesn't do that because he's a leader, he's a warrior, and he's a winner. And that's what champions are made out of. So I'm giving all my respect to this man for not only playing through an injury that most people would be on IR but for being accountable and not using the injury as a crutch or an excuse. And we're not alone. The AFC North right now, if you think about it, so the Ravens are in first place, and they're kind of the healthiest team for the first time in a few years. I guess that's the way it works here. You know, they had the Dobbins injury, they have a couple minor injuries, but for the most part, their quarterback is intact, and they're the healthiest team right now. When you think about the other teams, the Browns, they're playing without Watson, they lost their best they lost their Joe Burrow in Chubb. The Steelers, it appears that Kenny Pickett is hurt. I don't know the extent of that as of this broadcast. And we have a hurt Joe Burrow. I mean, every team in the division, all the quarterbacks are compromised right now, except for Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. And hey, ironically, the Ravens are in first place right now. So this NFL season is about ability and coaching and execution but it's also the battle of attrition and staying healthy. And through four games, the Ravens are winning the battle of attrition. And the last thing I want to go over before I go into some personnel stuff and some game stuff, I shouldn't buy into this. I shouldn't even be doing this, but I'm seeing things on Twitter and Instagram, and there's people saying that Coach Taylor shouldn't be calling plays anymore. Perish the thought, but they're saying that Joe Burrow is hurting the team and he's a liability right now. Like, I'm seeing this stuff on other people's pages, and I don't even know why I spend the time reading it and getting mad over it. I should just block the people that are doing that. People, I, I know whoever's out there listening to this podcast is probably more mature than that and not that kind of fan. But come on, to the people that are doing that, you can't get down on Joe Burrow and you can't get down on Coach Taylor. Like, was there a problem when we went to the Super Bowl? Was there a problem when we went to the AFC Championship game? No, it's a couple of bratty people that when they lose a couple games, all of a sudden they want to pull the fire alarm, point the finger, blame everybody. Low character, immaturity. I don't know who's doing this and what their status is in life and who they are because everyone is just an avatar on Twitter and Instagram. But man, that is low character to be getting on Joe Burrow for anything when he turned this organization around. And Coach Taylor, when he is the winningest playoff coach in the history of the Cincinnati Bengals. So I don't want to give that topic any more attention than it deserves, but it just frustrates me when I see people slandering what has been the turnaround and the greatest era of being a Bengal fan. All right, before we get into the specifics of the game, let's talk about some personnel stuff. So, obviously, Joe Burrow was hurt with the calf, and you saw him during the game massaging his elbow. He got hit twice as he was throwing. That is the kiss of death for a quarterback. It is the worst possible thing that can happen to you. And I played quarterback before. And if you're throwing a ball and trying to put your full velocity behind a throw, and someone stops your arm in the middle of that motion, it is just a nightmare. There is no way, and I, and I don't mean to be a pessimist, and I know he toughed it out, but when I saw him stretching that, that elbow out on the sideline, I was like, that elbow is not right right now. And we saw that happen with Carson Palmer years ago. That was the year that Ryan Fitzpatrick took over as quarterback. I don't want to go over ancient history, but it was against the Giants, 
Same thing happened. Carson Palmer was going to throw, and a defensive back caught his arm as he was throwing. You know, you think it's okay. He finished out the game. He was done for the year after that. Now, I'm not saying that Joe Burrow was done for the year, but those type of injuries are just a nightmare. And I still play pickup football now, and I'm, a, I'm the quarterback. I'm not out there running around, running routes and stuff. I'm like the steady quarterback, as they call it, in, in New Jersey. And I have one rule for everybody. I was like, you can hit me. You can push me. You can try to knock me down. Do not hit my throwing arm as I'm throwing. And everyone who I play is what respects that, so I got some longevity there. No one's messed up my elbow. But, man, I know the feeling of that happening, and I'm worried about Joe Burrow in that aspect. I know that hurt more than anyone realized or that he showed. The man is a warrior. And T. Higgins with the rib injury, that's another warrior. Did you see him go down on the field and cause a, a big scene? Did, did we even know he was hurt until we got the report that he wasn't returning to the game? You know, he must have gotten popped in the ribs. He broke a rib, and he just comes off the field and, re, and goes into the tent, I guess, and realizes that he can't go for the rest of the game. Warrior T. Higgins, Warrior Joe Burrow, I don't care how this season is going. These are the staples of your team, and these are the kind of leaders and talents that will take us where we want to go, whether this season goes the way we want or not. And again, I'm going to err on the side of caution. I think Higgins should sit out for two, three, four weeks. And I hear that he wants to come back and start playing this week. you got to be careful with that because guys are going to target you. I mean, that's the way it is. And, you know, it, it sounds so evil. But in reality, you know, if one of their best receivers has hurt ribs and he's a tall receiver that goes over the middle a lot, it's just like a no-brainer that you're gonna that you're gonna pop him in the ribs, unfortunately. So please be careful, T. Your long-term health is more important than a game or two. You know, go to the bye, and then you can come out of the bye after three plus weeks of healing, and then be the T. Higgins that we all know and love. And that's tough for T because he didn't get the contract. He's having a slightly down year statistically. You know, who cares about that? And now he's got this rib injury. So things are certainly not going well in the T. Higgins world. But I respect that man a lot as a player and as a person. When I went out to Cincinnati, he was one of the few players, to be quite honest, that was really cool to me and inviting to me. So regardless of that, T, just do the right thing. You're going to get the big bag at the end of it all, and you're going to get glory. And I hope you never, ever leave this building, my friend. Man, this is kind of an emotional episode. It is when, you know, you've been waiting for this for a long time and you think it's our year with the coaching staff intact and all the talent and the borough contract and the new free agents and you're sitting here at one and three. You know, I'm, I can't even describe what I'm, what I'm feeling right now. And I know you guys are feeling the same thing. All right, Akeem Davis-Gaither with a knee injury that might be a little more severe than we thought because they signed Devin Harbour from the Cowboys. He's a linebacker. And if you have a player coming from the Cowboys defense, you know, that's a pretty good defense to come out of. So we'll see what happens with him. Speedy recovery to Davis Gaither because I thought he was looking good in the beginning of the season. He had a great camp, and it appeared that he was going to make that jump to the next level. So we'll see how severe the knee injury is and speedy recovery to you, my friend. I hope I don't see you till after the bye as well. Kind of old news, but Charlie Jones went to IR with a thumb injury. I, I don't know. I guess he broke his thumb or fractured his thumb or dislocated his thumb, whatever it was. He was having a great year as a returner. At least it's not his legs. And while he's rehabbing, I know he's on IR for at least four weeks. That'll give him a chance to heal up the thumb, and he can still keep his legs and the rest of his body fresh. So it's not that major. It's not like having a knee injury or a shoulder or things of that nature. 
So I'm looking forward to Charlie Jones coming back because we struggled without him in the punt return game this week, even though I love Trenton Irwin. They waived Reed Sinet, and he's going to come up and down depending on the quarterback situation. But with McCarron in the building and Browning as right now the number two, I didn't think that you needed another kind of journeyman guy who hasn't had much experience in the NFL. So understandable, but, you know, Sinet, stay by your phone because you never know if you're going to get another call from the Bengals this year. And we brought back Kendrick Pryor a couple years ago. He was the star of training camp, and he was a guy that we put on the practice squad and, you know, one of those underdogs. Every year we have that, right? This year it was Yosivash as far as, like, that receiver that's lighting it up in preseason that you're like, this guy's got to make the roster. You know, he's going to be so successful this year. And we had those dreams for Kendrick Pryor a couple years back. And when we tried to get him on the practice squad, Jacksonville grabbed him. And over two years, Jacksonville did nothing with him except wave him, and we have him back in the building. So maybe he'll make his way to the active roster at some point. And if he does, I can't wait because he gave us a lot of thrills two years back. All right, so let's talk about the game if we have to. Again, there's no key plays to go over. There's no highlights. There's no the usual stuff that I do. It's I'm just going to talk about some obvious things from the game. First off... Nine hits on Burrow, including three sacks. Too many. And you know what? It wasn't a case of the offensive lineman getting beat one-on-one constantly. It happened a couple times. It happened to Orlando Brown once, but he's been playing well this season. But he did give up the strip sack on a one-on-one situation. But a lot of the hits on Burrow were from the other coaching staff outsmarting us and sending one more than we can block. Or, you know, we're, or a late blitz where Karras starts double-teaming one of the defensive tackles and all of a sudden a DB or a linebacker comes screaming through that hole. So it wasn't your typical thing where it was like, oh, come on, Jonah. You know, Volson got beat. Jonah, it wasn't any of that, really. It happened here and there. But for the most part, and this is never the case with this coaching staff and our, and our schematics, but we got out-coached. We got out-schemed. They, they had our number this game. Another recipe for losing is two for nine on third down. I don't know what more to say about that. And I don't think we converted our first third down to really late in the game. So if you're not going to convert on third down and you're going to let up pressure on a compromised quarterback, you're not going to win the game. We were in the shotgun 100% of the time. That's understandable with Burrow. But again, that takes away most of your play action. It takes away a few different things. And teams are just keying on him. I know he's got a few extra steps back there but they know where he's going to be on every play, and you can't do anything really deceptive. So we start the game with a great first drive. It's an even balance between run and pass. We just march down the field. The run game is working. The pass game is working. I was like, we're going to blow these guys out. And then we get down to maybe like the three-yard line, and it's fourth down, and we decide to kick the field goal. Now, that's conventional wisdom. You know, you can argue about that all you want and get mad at the coaching staff, but when you're on the road... On a fourth and we'll consider that intermediate. That's not that's not at the one, but it's not at the seven. So it's kind of in the middle there. The conventional wisdom is that you kick the field goal from there and just go up on the road, first drive, play some defense. They don't have a great offense, so I get the mentality behind that. And I know it's easy to be the the Monday morning quarterback or the armchair quarterback, but I would have went for the touchdown in that situation. We just had such momentum, and if we didn't. You know, you're going to put them at the three, two, or one-yard line, and that's not a great offense to have to go that far down the field. So I would have looked at it that way. The coaching staff didn't. 
but I have no authority over this coaching staff. Obviously, they know what they're doing more than I do. So we kicked the field goal. And oddly enough, those were the last points that we would see in this game, and no one saw that coming. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. And when you think about it, it was a 3-3 game until about eight minutes in the second quarter. So up till then, it was just this battle. No one was doing anything on offense. It just looked like it was going to be a 17-14 kind of game. And then they hit three big plays. They hit Hopkins deep. you got to expect him to make some plays. They hit the guy from Cincinnati, the tight end, Wiley, down the seam. And then Westbrook Akine got the score, kind of waltzed into the end zone. And then the floodgates opened. When that drive happened, I was like, eh, a couple lucky plays. We're the better team. We'll make up for it. Nothing to worry about. And then, as I just said, the floodgates opened. And then sometimes you just get lucky or things go your way. They had Tajay Spears fumble on the handoff, and it looked like we were going to recover in the Titans' backfield. The ball just bounced his way. You know, that that oblong ball, you never know which way it's going to bounce. In that case, it bounced right up to him. And our whole defense overcommitted to the right side because there was the ball on the ground, and that's where the play was going. He was smart enough to cut it back the other way, and that turned out to be a massive play for them. You know, that could have went either way. Imagine if he tried to pick it up, and he couldn't, and he fumbled it forward, and B.J. Hill or, you know, rear falls on it. That whole game is different from that point. The ball didn't bounce our way. We're used to the ball bouncing our way. So we just move on. We don't cry about it, and we... We take our one and three, and we make a vow to win the next game, and you take it one week at a time. So the Titans are battling their way. They're scoring a little bit. Now it's 17-3. to There's a minute 20 in the half, and you know what I always say. When you score right before the half and you score right out of the half, it's a massive turnaround in the game. So they get it with 120, and when it was 17-3, to we had a chance with a deep ball to Tyler Boyd. It wasn't a perfect pass, but it was catchable, Tyler. But I have no complaints with you. Look at the career you've had. But that was a key play by him not being able to reel in that deep ball. And as a result, they get the ball back. They drive down the field. And you have the embarrassment of Derrick Henry throwing a touchdown pass from the five-yard line or whatever it was. So they go into the half 24-3, to and the way our offense was looking and the way that their game plan was defeating our offensive game plan and the way that Henry was running, I don't know if you're coming back from that, down three touchdowns. Because that's what I said. A- after we were down 24-3, to I'm saying, you know what, we have to 
stop them three times, and score three touchdowns in a row. There's almost not that many possessions. That's really hard to do. And it happens, and we've done it before. We've come back from large deficits. Teams do it all the time. But when you just think about the logistics of it, you need a stop, a touchdown, a stop, a touchdown, a stop, a touchdown, just to tie the game. So already at halftime, it was a very tall mountain to climb. And if you look at the second half, it was basically a 3 nothing game. We couldn't do anything on offense, but our defense held them, and they just drained the clock with Henry. They come out of the locker room with a 10-minute drive up three scores and then go up 27-3. to I mean, at that point, it was like, you know what, pull Burrow, pull everyone, just keep everyone healthy, live to fight another day. The Titans just own this game, and that happens to us a couple times a year, right? We, we get blown out where there's just no hope, and then typically most of the other games were winning or very very close and this game was just it was rough I mean I always stand up watch the game I'm like 12 inches away from the tv screen with full adrenaline on everything and there was a point after halftime where I actually went into the other room and sat down on the couch for a drive or two and watched but then I was like all right get up get up and get jacked but nothing was working this game you know, and down 24-3, to down 27-3, to let's think about it this way. Might have been a time to get in Jake Browning. You need to get him experience. The way that things are going with Burrow, you don't know if Browning's going to start a game or have to come into a game. I think it would have been a good chance to get him a good quarter plus of work and, you know, make him throw the ball against a, a good front seven that's, that's having a good pass rush. I think it would have been really valuable to get him some game experience in a game that truly was lost on the first drive of the second half. All right, let's go over the good and the bad from the game. A lot of bad, not that much good, so I'm not going to make this too long of a segment. But as far as the good, Chase, I thought, had a great game. He was doing everything that he could to be a winner. I know he was angry in the locker room. He he said, like, I'm always effing open, and that's rare for him. Then he apologized for cursing right after it. But you could tell the frustration. He doesn't like losing. He'll never be comfortable with losing. And that's the kind of leader and champion we want on this team. Just keep doing what you're doing, Jamar. I love it. Mixon was excellent again. And again, not breaking the 100-yard mark, but stats are just stats. When he was called upon, he did everything he could. He was running. You know what? He was gliding out there. He always runs hard. He's looking fast this year, but the real elite running backs have that glide to them. It's just every all their movements are easy, and that's exactly how I would describe him this game. He was just gliding around the field. Just keep doing what you're doing, Mixon. It's amazing that you took a pay cut. Because right now you're one of our best offensive players. But you did what you had to do, and I thank you for that. I think Tanner Hudson is excellent. He's going to threaten some of these other guys for their for their job as far as a starting tight end. And as you saw, they kept him up on the active roster. Let's make that the norm. You know, I don't know what you do. Sample's a big blocker. They, they love him in that role. Irv Smith, again, he's hurt just like he had a history of before he came here. Just find a way to keep Tanner Hudson on the 45-man roster and getting some snaps every week because he's an effective weapon. Trenton Irwin, another great guy and a favorite of mine. A nice 17-yard catch, his first catch of the year. Hendrickson was very dominant and had a very good game. You know, it's tough when you're losing by that much to get noticed, but if you did watch the tape, he was amazing as usual. B.J. Hill was great. He had the sack. Reader is always great. Awuzier. You barely heard his name, and you know what that means? That he's covering his guy effectively virtually every play. 
Dax Hill, rangy, tough. I know he got the personal foul or whatever. I think it was on him, but it doesn't matter. He's been playing great. He played great this game. And on the stat sheet, you see a Dax Hill interception, and that's what the stats do. They mislead you because you're thinking, you know, he's like diving in front of a receiver who's about to score a touchdown for an INT. The reality is it was just a horrible chuck and duck by Tannehill that went right into his breadbasket. But, hey, an interception is an interception, and that looks good when you're renegotiating a contract. So just keep stacking up the numbers. But who cares about the numbers? Just keep playing like you are, Dax Hill. And DJ Turner is proving that he belongs in this league already. Cam Taylor Britt goes out. He got friendly fired by Miles Murphy. Looks like a concussion. Even before that, he looked like he hurt his shoulder on, on one of the tackles near the goal line. And DJ Turner comes in, doesn't let up any big plays, has a one-on-one tackle in open space on Henry. So I'm really liking what I'm seeing out of him. And he's going to be a corner of the future for the Cincinnati Bengals. I see it already after four games. And Miles Murphy, who's been on my bad list for the last couple weeks because he hasn't done much, he did have his first sack. The problem is, no, I give him credit. He hustled. He got the sack. That's what you do. But if you look at that play, Murphy's coming across from the middle to get the hustle sack. But Hendrickson is steaming up from behind, about to slap the ball away for a strip sack. Murphy cuts him off, gets the sack. But if Murphy wasn't involved in that play, Hendrickson would have banged that ball out. We would have had a turnover or something close. But again, you can't read into that. If I was coaching Miles Murphy, I'd be like, you did exactly what you should do. You had a beat on the quarterback, and you tackled him. But it was just ironic that even in his first sack, there was a slight negative to it. All right, let's do the bad, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. The offensive line and the coaching was beaten by the schemes. Like I said, it wasn't really the one-on-ones. It was having unblocked blitzers fly in from everywhere that we weren't prepared for. So that was really the big bad from this game because Joe Burrow had no time to do anything. And if Joe Burrow has no time to do anything, you're not winning the game. Orlando Brown getting beaten for the strip sack on the one-on-one that was late in the third quarter. The game was kind of over by then, and he's had a very good season up to this point. But if you want to talk about something bad, that was a bad. Osai was invisible when he was in there. Cam Taylor Britt, I don't know if it's a sophomore slump. It's a bend-don't-break, but he's letting up a lot of pass plays, much more than last year. He ends up getting hurt in this game. I still believe in him as a player, and I still believe in him as a cornerstone corner for us. But he's let up quite a few yards and passes over the last few weeks. Jermaine Pratt, Logan Wilson, come on. They are centerpieces of this defense. It just wasn't their best game. Reeder had a sack called back by the holding call on Pratt. Wilson missed a big tackle on the Henry touchdown. Pratt was battling with Henry a couple times on the Henry pass and the Henry touchdown. You know, there's a bunch of plays in a game, so it's, you know, we're pointing out the most obvious mistakes. And these guys are phenomenal players for us. No complaints about them. But again, you know, you're not going to have a great week every week. And the team didn't have a great week. And neither did Pratt or Logan Wilson, unfortunately. And Brad Robbins, it's four games now. And you still have to be patient because he does have the leg. He had the 62-yard punt. His net average wasn't bad, but he had the one touchback. And touchbacks drive me crazy. When I explode during a game, those are one of the things that really get get me mad. When you just want to pin them inside the 20, inside the 10, you have the perfect opportunity, and the ball trickles into the end zone. It's it's just a major, I guess, pet peeve of mine. But I don't know. Robbins still hasn't put it put together a, a complete game yet, and 
you know, he has great punts, and then he has bad field position punts. I'm not down on him. I don't want to see him go anywhere, but we're going to have to watch this over the next couple weeks. And if it doesn't improve, maybe we bring in someone for competition, unfortunately. So in summary, a game to forget, not a game to just give up on the season. Because why? What are you going to do? At, at one and three, the season's over. You're not going to enjoy yourself anymore. You know, there's still 13 more Bengal games, and they're going to be fun. We have an exciting roster. Hopefully we go into the playoffs and the AFC Championship and the Super Bowl. That's the ultimate goal. If not, it's still Bengals football to watch, and we're certainly not out of it just yet, even though the, the standings don't look positive right now. And remember, Arizona and Seattle, not two world-beating teams. That can bring us to 500 going into the bye, and then everyone's having a different narrative and talking a different game on the season. So just hang in there. Have fun watching the games. That's what it's all about. We wait for this for months and months. It's here. Just enjoy yourself. And then everything's going to fall into place. And if it doesn't, just have fun anyway. That's what life's about. All right, so a quick synopsis of next game. It's at Arizona. It's tough doing the time zone change difference. Heading out to basically the West Coast. It's one of our longest road trips of the year. So those things are negatives. But fortunately, we're playing one of the worst rosters in the NFL. Now, they're doing better than everyone thought. I mean, they were whooping the Giants until they gave it away late. They beat the Cowboys. How many people dropped out of suicide pools on that one? And then they played the 49ers tough for a while, and then the 49ers pulled away. So they are definitely in the bottom of the NFL, but just not a team that you can expect to walk over, especially by the way that we played in the Titans game. And they're going to be taking the same game plan. They're going to be coming after Burrow with everything they have. They're going to be just watching that short to intermediate area and trying to get us on three and outs a bunch of times and trying to hold us on third down. You can't overlook anybody, but I really think this should be a win regardless of Burrow's health, regardless of what we did last game. Even if McCarron goes in there or Browning goes in there, I think we have a good shot. They have a no-name defense that is shown to be vulnerable. They gave up a huge fourth-quarter lead. The Niners hung up a bunch of points on them. Offensively, I think Dobbs is playing smart. He's playing better than everyone thought. They have that, that third-rounder, Michael Wilson, who's like a, a surprise for them and a, and a good receiver. James Conner's running well. Ertz is always a threat. They have Marquise Brown. So they have some weapons. It's not a team totally devoid of talent. It's just a lot of no-names on defense and a lot of good offensive players, but not top-of-the-league players. Be on the lookout. Don't take them lightly. Go in there one game at a time and take care of business. Bengals, I'd love to say Bengals 34-3, to but the way the season's shaping up and the way we're looking right now, that's not the case. I'm saying Bengals, tight one, which is going to make us so mad. But tight game, 1916. Bengals go to 2-3, and three, and the criticism and the naysayers and the negativity quiets down just a little bit. That'll do it for this episode. I'd like to thank at Bengals Highlights on Instagram, the best page out there. Really cool highlights, really cool music. Definitely something you should check out. Thank you for listening to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. The Unofficial Bengals Podcast.